Good evening. The Prime Minister of Japan forgets part of his speech on the 76th anniversary of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. Will the world ever disarm? We speak to delegate, to a delegate and an astrophysicist. The economy adds jobs, and Trump supporters plan rallies next month at the U.S. Capitol. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, August 6, 2021. And it was 76 years ago today, a lone United States bomber appeared in the clear blue skies over the city of Hiroshima, Japan. The residents spared the carpet bombing that had destroyed nearly every city in the country, killing hundreds of thousands, got little attention from the unsuspecting populace. The aircraft dropped one bomb, the world's second atomic explosion, exploding 1,000 feet over the center of the city. In a tenth of a second flash, Hiroshima was destroyed, killing upwards of 200,000 people, factoring in those who died from radiation exposure in the years following. Three days later, a second bomb killed tens of thousands more in Nagasaki. President Harry Truman, who as vice president was never informed of the secret project to build the bomb, called the Manhattan Project, announced the attack from the White House and promised more if Japan didn't surrender. Are now prepared to destroy more rapidly and completely every productive enterprise the Japanese have in any city. We shall destroy their docks, their factories, and their communications. Let there be no mistake, we shall completely destroy Japan's power to make war. It was to spare the Japanese people from utter destruction that the ultimatum of July the 26th was issued at Potsdam. Their leaders promptly rejected that ultimatum. If they do not now accept our terms, they may expect a rain of ruin from the air, the like of which has never been seen on this earth. Behind this air attack will follow sea and land forces in such numbers and power as they have not yet seen, and with the fighting skill of which they are already well aware. Within days of the second bomb, the Japanese Empire sued for peace. Today, Japan and the United States are among the world's closest allies in business, in politics, and confronting a rising new superpower in China. Today, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said Hiroshima has become a city that can no longer be defined by what happened on that August day 76 years ago. Hiroshima is defined not only by the tragedy unleashed on it. The unparalleled advocacy of its survivors, the Hibakusha, is a testament to the resilience of the human spirit. They have dedicated their lives to sharing their experiences and campaigning to make sure no one else suffers their fate. The United Nations share the Hibakusha's vision of a world without nuclear weapons. This was the subject of the first ever General Assembly resolution passed just five months after the bombing of Hiroshima and the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons, the only guarantee against the use of nuclear weapons is their total elimination. The United Nations and I personally continue to be fully committed to the goal of a nuclear weapon-free world. And that is the Secretary General 
of the United Nations. The UN has sponsored the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons that took effect in January. It's the first legally binding international agreement to comprehensively prohibit nuclear weapons. The treaty prohibits the development, testing, production, stockpiling, stationing, transfer, use, and threat of use of nuclear weapons, as well as assistance and encouragement to the prohibited activities for nations that have signed the treaty. But as of July 2021, those 55 states that have ratified or acceded to the treaty, most recently the Seychelles in July, have been the ones that don't have nuclear weapons. Eventually, as many of those, as many as 197 non-nuclear countries could sign on. But no nuclear armed nation has expressed support for a ban treaty. Indeed, a number of them, including the United States and Russia, have expressed explicit opposition. Neither Japan or Australia, both non-nuclear, have signed on as well. Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga apologized today for accidentally skipping parts of his speech in Hiroshima that he gave to mark the anniversary of the atomic bombing of the city. Media reports said he had skipped over a page and that the mistake was noticed as public broadcaster NHK stopped displaying subtitles during his speech at the anniversary ceremony. Suga has said he does not support Japan joining a treaty when numerous other nuclear-armed countries have refused. In the United States Congress, Washington, D.C. Congressional Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton has been reintroducing the Nuclear Weapons Abolition and Economic and Energy Conversion Act of 2021 since 1994 when it passed in a D.C. referendum. The bill would require the United States to sign and ratify an international agreement to disable and dismantle America's nuclear weapons upon certification that other nuclear powers have begun elimination of theirs. She spoke with WBAI earlier today. Although the United States is one of the few nations with nuclear weapons, we are continuing with our arsenal and keeping it up to date. You're absolutely right. Nuclear weapons aren't really weapons in the sense of their they can never be used as weapons why does the united states continue to construct a suicide pill of sorts well that's what it is but i i would say it could never be used the reason that the united states i think keeps it is because we are a world power and we don't want to be without the same arsenal that a few other nations and it's only a few have the U.S. develops this technology. People learn about it. It goes in the textbooks. Other people can read it and do the same thing. The few nations that have nuclear weapons, and remember we still have this matter with Iran going on, are essentially holding these weapons or using these weapons for prestige and not much more. Has the United States ever apologized to Japan, and would that ever be possible for the U.S. to apologize to Japan? I think that's a very good question. Japan is one of our closest allies now. So I'm not sure some kind of apology would, I think, be in order. But the United States and Japan work so closely together now, it probably is a little redundant at this point. Well, Japan could, if they wanted to tomorrow, they could have as many nuclear bombs as the U.S. They well have the technology and science to do it. I find that a bit ironic that, you know, the Japan would... Yes, I find that ironic. And I would be surprised if they actually went ahead and produced a nuclear weapon, having been the first nation to experience a nuclear disaster. If the U.S. started out wanting to be super powerful and win World War II, and now what we've really done is we sort of spread 
nuclear weapons around the world to a certain degree. You wouldn't need a deterrent if, unless somebody else had one as well. So once the U.S. had it, then Russia wanted it, then China wanted it, then France wanted it, and England wanted it. And we're lucky more countries. Now we have, as you mentioned earlier, Iran wants it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'd be interested in looking at, and I believe in the, indeed all the nations that have these weapons have, have signed on except the United States. So when you talk to people in Congress, what do they say? I mean, are they still holding on to this sort of like, you know, outdated patriotic idea that we won the war with this weapon and this is an important part of our, our stature in the world? Or are they beginning to, to open up to your point of view on this? Members of Congress haven't thought much about nuclear weapons recently, frankly. Should they? I mean, I've, this was a D.C. initiative put on the ballot in D.C. That's how it got to Congress and how it got to me. Mm-hmm. Any chance they might actually have a debate, discuss, or have hearings about all this one day? No, there's probably no chance of that because this is not a looming issue for either the United Nation, uh, United States or other nations mm-hmm. at this point. If we take a look at those 122 nations, they were the only nations who probably haven't signed onto this treaty. And remember, that's real progress. In 2017, mm-hmm. we got a treaty that has been ratified by 122 nations against nuclear weapons. That is progress that we certainly didn't see in 1993 when this initiative was first in the district, first came forward on the ballot from D.C. residents. Would it take an accident? Would it take a terrible thing to wake people up to the, to the danger of these things? And then what? Well, what do you propose? <laughs> Will people come to their senses that this is the dangers of having these things? I hardly think so. I think that would reinforce people who already have them. I don't think it would result in everybody saying, okay, yeah. now, everybody, let's get rid of nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. I don't think an accident is what we're afraid of. I think what we're afraid of is any proliferation. That's why the Iran deal was, was so important. But after being pulled out of it, and now we're going back in it, one president, they're for it, another, they're against it, and it goes back and forth. What's happening there? Nations which aren't democratic don't see changes in administration. And it's very, very harmful for the Trump administration to pull out of this deal. It really was. And, of course, what we have now, as I speak, is... Iran has not been willing to come to the table with a president who was anxious. Biden was anxious to restart this deal. And they have given the back of their hand to it. I don't know if that is a power play or what it is. But he has been able to move not one bit to renew this deal after Trump took us out of it. And why he took us out of it, I will not know. I think it's because, oh, it was done by another administration, therefore I'm against it. I thought it was because of Israel having nuclear weapons and this tension between Israel and Iran leading them to want to have nuclear weapons. Well, you have raised an interesting point, like why give up on a nuclear deal now when we see others have it? Yes, we could be into that. Anything you'd like to add that people should know about maybe supporting any moves to try and stop proliferation? Well, Iran was at the top of the American agenda. Unfortunately, this is faded because Iran has been totally uncooperative. I think you have all I can say about that at this point. Well, they have a new president that just came into power yesterday, so they don't, even know, they don't mm-hmm. even know what they're going to do yet. And let's hope, let's hope some change comes out of that. I'm not as hopeful about that as I should be, as I'd like to be. 
Could the U.S. get into a war? Could we actually try and go into Iran and take away their nuclear ability? Not only unlikely, I would say impossible. It's a big country. It's a lot bigger than Iraq. A lot more people. It would be the, a terrible war. And it would be useless. What's the point? I don't think they're going to use nuclear weapons, for example. I don't think that's starting a war for nothing. Washington, D.C. Congressional Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton. Since D.C. is not a state, it doesn't have full representation in Congress. Delegates to Congress are entitled to sit in the House of Representatives and vote in committee and to offer amendments, but they can't vote on legislation. University of Chicago astrophysicist Robert Rosner says the failure of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons to win over the nuclear-armed states is the reason non-nuclear states are signing on. So there's a reason why the, the nuclear states are not signing on. There's a very good reason. What that has to do with is that the original, the sort of the, the parent treaty is called the uh, Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, the NPT. And in the NPT, there were two promises made. The non-nuclear states promised that they would never acquire nuclear weapons. And the nuclear states promised that they would get rid of the weapons. Guess what? The nuclear states didn't do it. We haven't done it, the Russians haven't done it, the Chinese haven't done it, the Brits haven't done it, and the French haven't done it. The non-nuclear states are really mad about that. And that's the reason that treaty exists that you were just talking about. They basically said, let's get rid of all weapons, but the nuclear states obviously are not going to sign up to it because they haven't even done what they promised to do in the nuclear non-proliferation treaty. So we're kind of stuck. What's the obsession among these large nations for nuclear weapons? It's prestige. Well, no, I don't think it's prestige. I think it is prestige maybe for the undeclared nuclear states, India, for example. But I think for the U.S. and Russia and China in particular, I don't think it has anything to do with prestige. I don't think they need prestige. I think it's fear. It's just simple fear. It's the fear of we got rid of it, the other folks are not going to get rid of it, and then we're going to be stuck. That's we need to modernize like they want to do now, and I know I've heard a double, you know, some people say it's safer to modernize than not to, but a trillion dollars right. to modernize? In the United States, what modernize means is to make sure that, God help us, if the day ever comes when these weapons are deployed, that they actually work, and they work as designed. All weapons doesn't matter whether they're nuclear or not, age, even if you don't use them. There is a regular process for checking them, and they have to be reworked, and that's what this is all about. There's another term for it. It's called stockpile stewardship, the process of examining each and every weapon to see whether or not it's still functional, and if they have problems, they're replaced. So all these weapons are being basically updated to make sure that they work. Are they adding new capabilities? That's very controversial. The Americans believe that the Russians and Chinese are, in fact, adding new capabilities. In our case, there is one change that is happening, which is one of the adjustable parameters for these weapons is the point of detonation. How high above the ground do you detonate? That part has been redone. It allows more flexibility on the part of the, the warfighters. So that modification has been, has been made. Otherwise... The United States has not made any modifications that, right. that change the performance of weapons. Proliferation, in particular Iran, are we ever going to sure. return to the Iran nuclear deal or did Trump ruin it forever? I'm hoping the answer is that he didn't ruin it. People with some sense 
will prevail and that we go back to the original plan. Because having the Iranians acquire a nuclear weapons is just a disaster. And I really, really hope it does not happen. The one hopeful thing is that at least the Iranians are talking to us. They weren't talking to us before, but at least now we're having a conversation with them. So there's some soft movement. But whether or not we'll be able to go back to where we were before, I think we just don't know at this point. And that's University of Chicago astrophysicist Robert Rosner. In related news, the United States military and the group of seven leading industrialized nations today accused Iran of being behind last week's attack on an oil tanker off Oman's coast. The United States Central Command said it had collected and analyzed substantial evidence that the July 29th attack on the HV Mercer Street in international waters off the coast of Oman that killed two people was carried out by an Iranian drone loaded with a military-grade explosive. U.S. experts concluded, based on the evidence that this UAV was produced in Iran, the report said, using the military term for an unmanned aerial vehicle. Meanwhile, the foreign ministers of Britain, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the United States said the attack was a clear violation of international law. They added that all available evidence points to Iran, clearly points to Iran. They say Iran has denied being involved. You're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. In national news, United States employers added 943,000 jobs in July and drove the unemployment rate down to 5.4 percent. In another sign, the economy is bouncing back with surprising vigor from COVID-19. President Joe Biden had this to say. That the economy created 943,000 new jobs in July. 943,000. The unemployment rate fell by a half a percent to 5.4 percent. Now, while our economy is far from complete, and while we doubtlessly will have ups and downs along the way as we continue to battle the Delta surge of COVID, what is indisputable now is this. The Biden plan is working. The Biden plan produces results. And the Biden plan is moving the country forward. And that's the president. There's growing fear the fast-spreading Delta variant of the coronavirus may set back this recovery. But encouraged by their prospects, 261,000 Americans returned to the job market in July, and the unemployment rate fell from 5.9% in June. And average hourly earnings were up 4% last month from a year earlier. The United States is seeing an average of more than 98,000 new COVID-19 cases per day, though, up from fewer than 12,000 a day in late June still well below the peak of 250,000 reached in January. The vast majority of new cases are among people who have not gotten vaccinated. Meanwhile, the stalemate in Texas over a bill Democrats say will make it harder to vote is escalating. Democrats left for Washington to push for federal voting rights legislation, effectively denying a quorum necessary to pass the GOP-supported voting restrictions in Austin. Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, announced yesterday the new legislative session will begin Saturday, a move forcing Democrats to decide whether to stay out of Texas for another 30 days or return and face a threat of arrest for breaking quorum. State Representatives Chris Turner and Sanfronia Thompson were joined on the steps of the Capitol today by Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley. We will never stop fighting Texas Republicans' continued efforts to roll back Texans' freedom to vote. These bills are just the latest in a systematic attack by Trump Republicans in Texas and across the country to undermine our democracy and silence the voices of the people. We left Texas to stop House Bill 3, 
But we came to Washington, D.C. to urge Congress and the administration to take immediate action and pass sweeping voter protection legislation to safeguard access to the ballot box for all voters in Texas and in every other state in this country. Yeah. We're going to fight today, we're going to fight tomorrow, and we're going to fight until this problem is solved. You know, they say everything is bigger in Texas. But what is bigger than defending our national right to vote and our freedom to vote? They say, don't mess with Texas. <laughs> well, I say, don't mess with these Texan legislators who are defending the right to vote in their home state. We must get this done because it is an oath of office that we took to defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And that, demand, that demands that we defend the ballot box for every single American. Democrats have now prevented passage of new voting restrictions twice by depriving the Texas House of the minimum attendance necessary to do business, first during the House's regular session in May and again in the first special session, which began last month and ended Friday. And the former data chief for Donald Trump's 2016 campaign has announced a protest next month at the Capitol on behalf of so-called political prisoners charged in the January 6th insurrection. Matt Brainerd announced rally on Steve Bannon's podcast last week. I'm actually going to make some news on your show today. We have our next okay. rally planned. It's in the middle of September, September 18th, and it's going to be huge. And what's going to define it is where it's going to take place. We're going back to the Capitol, right where it started, on September 18th. And we're going to push back against the phony narrative that there was an insurrection. We're going to provide the kind of evidence that Nancy Pelosi won't allow to be presented at her select committee, showing that this was a largely peaceful crowd, showing that this was a crowd that was egged on in many ways by Capitol Police throwing flash, flashbang grenades into a relatively peaceful crowd. We're going to present the evidence that Ashley Babbitt's death should be investigated. We're going to demand the release of 14,000 hours of videotape that the, the federal government has been suppressing. So we're going right back to the Capitol because we're not afraid and we're going to press our case. And I believe that at that we're going to have some very high profile speakers there. We're going to have members of Congress speak. We're going to continue to raise the volume and push back against this phony narrative and demand justice for these political prisoners. Brainard said he has already obtained permission for the rally from the Metropolitan Police Department pending final checks the day of the protest. And Trump disciple and MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell initially said that the former president would somehow be reinstated to the White House in mid-August. Lindell revised that prediction in an interview with a far right wing radio program last week, claiming instead that Trump will present proof next month to the Supreme Court. So maybe the, uh, you know, does the Supreme Court say, hey, let's have another Let's do another election with the, with what we just showed you, Brandon, without machines. You know, maybe that's a, a thing. So maybe the, uh, you know, does the Supreme Court say, hey, let's have another, let's do another election. Lindell said the election was stolen by the Chinese. We showed 19 cyber attacks from China to our country. We had the, we had the white hat hacker on that I paid a lot of money to validate, this is a third party, Steve. This guy still does stuff for, that's what he does for the government. If you call, if you have a problem, you call him. But also this physicist, Dr. Frank, that was up for a Nobel Medical Prize. I mean, a Nobel Prize, I guess not medical, the Nobel Prize. My pillow guy and right wing Trump supporter, Mike Lindell. And did he say physicist, Dr. Prank? I'm not sure about that. 
And the Foo Fighters tour returned to Kansas yesterday. They're a famous rock and roll band, giving the band an opportunity to reignite their longstanding feud with the Westboro Baptist Church. The hateful homophobic group routinely descends on the parking lot outside Foo Fighters shows with their hate-filled signs saying things like, God hates gay people, using a slur for gay people. This time, the band responded, led by frontman David Grohl. They got dressed up in disco attire, hopped on a flatbed truck, and treated the fanatical group to a lengthy rendition of the Bee Gees, You Should Be Dancing. The feud between the band and the church has been going on for a decade. The church says they welcome the attention, but after yesterday, they disabled their Twitter account, probably because of messages from Foo Fighters' legion of fans. And finally... New York Attorney General Letitia James today released the following statement after New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's team attacked the credibility of the 11 women who came forward with allegations of sexual harassment against the governor. The statement reads, to attack this investigation and attempt to undermine and politicize this process takes away from the bravery displayed by these women. There will be a rolling production of interview transcripts made available to the state assembly, which will be redacted as needed. She said in the statement, there are 11 women whose accounts have been corroborated by a mountain of evidence. Any suggestion that attempts to undermine the credibility of these women or this investigation is unfortunate. Meanwhile, a Quinnipiac University poll released today found voters in New York by a 70 percent to 25 percent margin want Governor Andrew Cuomo to step down following the report he sexually harassed 11 women. The report found Democratic voters in New York 57 percent to 36 percent support Cuomo's resignation. Republicans are even more supportive with 88 percent supporting his resignation and 11 percent opposing it. New York voters support the impeachment of the governor, 63% to 29%. This comes as assembly lawmakers are nearing the end of an impeachment investigation and could be preparing articles of impeachment in the coming weeks. More than half of voters, 55% to 29%, believe Cuomo should be charged with a crime based on what they have read or heard, according to the poll. Cuomo has denied he acted inappropriately. Cuomo, once one of the most popular governors in the country, now has a 28% job approval rating. And that's from the news for Friday, August 6, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.